I've had so much coffee this week. <laughs> I've had a, a shocking amount of coffee this week. Maybe not enough. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've had enough that I'm thinking about detoxing from coffee again. Oh, I don't. Th- I don't think we're prepared to handle that. <laughs> That's, I remember last time. Yeah, that didn't. That didn't go well. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's been three, four years since I I detoxed it was from pre, coffee. Pre COVID, right? Yeah, it was pre COVID. I think it was 2019. So, yeah. I mean, it feels it feels like it's time to do it again. Time to just get get off the juice. You think you'd make another video about it? I didn't successfully make the first one. Maybe I'd do better this time. Maybe you could. You could have some callbacks to the last un, unfinished video. Here we go. Yeah, it was so bad I couldn't even finish the video. Ooh. <laughs> Here's me four years ago. Is that your? Is that your no coffee voice? Yeah, it gets like slower and deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like you're underwater. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that fits. Yep. We'll call it Lucas the way of water. I think that might sort of be taken because I'm not because I won't be drinking coffee. I'm drinking water. There, there you it go. Makes total sense. There you go. Yeah, fits. Mm-hmm. Biggest movie of 2023. Yep, which is a, a five and a half minute vlog. Yeah, yeah, that's about like movie. the other it's the a, other way of water. Sorry, movie. film. Yes, short film. Yeah, short film. Because mm-hmm. I'm a filmmaker. Yeah. Yep. Everything makes a film. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back to talk more about the gear side of photo and video. All right, what do you got? Okay, I've gone down this rabbit hole of sorts. I feel like it's good for me in a way because I'm learning. And learning's supposedly a good thing. Some would say. So I started working on this video about... It's, it's about the X-H2S. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else am I going to talk about except for more Fuji cameras? No, it's not more Fuji cameras. It's the same Fuji camera. It's always the same <laughs> Fuji camera. So I shot a video and I was working on the edit and I was, you know, color grading it a little bit because I shot it in F-Log 2 with all of its amazing dynamic range and color and blah 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 blah. i mean not that you really needed to color grade it because it's a fuji camera and you know oh, it's got that that excellent sure. color science but. i just i like to do it on hard mode mm-hmm. you know i sure i could have shot it in a turn and then just shipped it because it's beautiful right out of camera but why would i do that yeah i mean you do want to get that 14-bit readout right? exactly yeah. i gotta get i paid for all that dynamic range and, and i just want to you paid roll, for those bits mm-hmm, i want to ring every single one of them out of there and so I've also been learning color matching footage, which I do have some X-T3 footage and I have some screen capture stuff from a ninja. And then I have the footage from the X-H2S. I'm going to marry this all together. And what I did on when I was editing part of part of the stuff that we shot at Big Bend, I took all this footage and what I've learned is like, oh, you color space transform into a common color space and then you do all your edits and then you export out of that common color space using the same transform or whatever to get to a final version that looks the same and if you work and color match in the same color space then you can export using the same export and it'll look very consistent okay so the way that uh they do it in the movie industry is they use aces aces academy color encoding system and it's not really it's not like complicated or anything it's just it's basically a color space and if you look up the color gamut for this thing it's huge it's like way bigger than like dci p3 it's just, it's all the colors. It's, it's like the difference between if you ask like a woman what like that shade of pink is versus if you ask a man. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. Very similar. It encompasses all of the different colors. Like if you had, you know, did all of your motion graphics and all of your video stuff for and color grading for a Hollywood movie and you wanted to deliver in like DCI-P3 or HDR or Dolby Vision or all these different things, you need all of that extra data and, and gamma information, blah, blah, blah. The gamma is the wrong word. But you need all that extra color space. And so that's why in ASUS, it's this, all this huge color space. And so I'm like, okay, well, how do I how do I work in Resolve to take my F-Log2 footage and transform it into some common color space? Might as well use ASUS because it's like Academy Standard. And the problem that I'm running into is that F-Log2 is not, doesn't have a supported gamma in DaVinci Resolve mm. because Fujifilm is not a part of like the ACES Alliance. And so they don't, haven't given ACES, the standard company body, the standard body, their eh, information for decoding the gammas in 
F-Log and F-Log 2. Man, you need to talk to Dr. Fuji about that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's acceptable. I mean, I feel I feel like I feel like I'm going to have to send him a letter. So that's like a whole thing. And I think there's an there's currently an F-Log gamma in Resolve, but there's not an F-Log 2 gamma. And part of all my experimentation in was like, okay, is the F-Log gamma the same as what F-Log 2 would be? And so Fuji publishes white papers on like the actual math equations for what the gamma is. Daniel, do you know what gamma is? Not not well enough. And I didn't I wouldn't have known that it had math equations. So I now I now know what gamma is. Are you gonna tell me? Mm-hmm. I am. All right. So if you think about uh, light touching an object where you shine light on something, when a sensor on a camera reads it out, the you can think of it as like every increment of darkness versus like every increment of like luminosity mapped to the sensor as a linear equation. Okay. If you go from you know fifty percent brightness to fifty one percent brightness, it's a linear linear readout mm-hmm. as far as mathematically plotting your your brightness on a graph. But if you look at it with your human eyeballs, it's not linear. Sure, you see it as more of you know twenty percent brightness does not look half as bright as forty percent brightness. Yeah, yeah, it, that makes sense. Yeah, so like because then your darks fall off and your lights fall off and there's a peak in the middle. So what your gamma is is a way to translate what the cameras saw into what should look closer to what your eyes see. And different cameras have different gammas. And so you have to know the gamma, which is how it's translating the brights to be mapped correctly so that your middle gray is in the right spot and all of your dynamic range exposure is correct. Okay. Now you said different cameras have different gammas. Right. Is that like based on the camera sensor or is it based on the log profile? What's the, it's what, based it, on what affects the, it? It's based on the profile. So it's not just every different cameras, but different, cameras can have different gammas as well. So like like, like Sony has like S-Log 1, 2, and 3, and like mm-hmm. all those would have different gammas? Right. And the thing with uh, with Sony cameras is you can set your color space, whatever, and you can also set your gamma. Oh. So you can shoot an HL... Well, actually, that's not true. Yeah, you can shoot an HLG in a Rec. 709 color space on a Sony camera. So the gamma for F-Log 2 is like a stop... The middle gray is like a stop lower or something or higher than F-Log and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And so that's gamma. And then color space is like, what's the space in? Which, if anyone needs to know, F-Log is shot in Rec. 2020. So whenever you go into Resolve, you can transform out of, out of F-Log using Rec. 2020 and then a gamma that doesn't exist. Are you drawing a distinction between F-Log and F-Log 2? Yes. Okay. Yes. So what I was trying to figure out was like, okay, if I take this footage and I use the Fuji-provided Rec. 709 LUT mm-hmm. to transform it from f-log 2 into rec 709 that's like the standard lot that everybody uses no well, almost, i don't know they provide a an interna an internal bleach bypass and an f and a rec 709 lut okay if you use the rec 709 lut for the f-log 2 footage it is a direct gamma pass through and so you receive the final output still in f-log gamma and then you have to do the dynamic range grading it doesn't just look straight out and so what I was trying to figure out was like, if I do that versus if I do a transform where like if I take a Rec direct 2020 input and I assign it the F-log gamma and then I output it to Rec 709 with an F-log gamma. I shot an F-log too, but I'm using an F-log gamma. And so it's just basically a pass through because I'm setting the gamma the same as the input and the output transform. Does it look the same as if I use a Rec 709 LUT? And the answer is no, it doesn't look the same. There's more pink in the skin. And so it's like the the gamma isn't exactly the same and it doesn't transform. If you use the LUT, it doesn't transform the same way as if you do a direct color space transform. It's a pretty subtle difference, right? Yeah, it was like super, super subtle. Like you probably wouldn't even notice it if you weren't looking side by side. Right, yeah. For a while there, it wasn't because I was doing like the swipe feature and I'm like swiping this way, swiping that way. I'm like, this is the same, right? It's the, oh no, no, this is just (laughs) slightly more pink. I hold it to my wife and I'm like, do these look the same to you? One. Two, one, two. Do you like one better? Do you like two better? One better? Two. Like okay, three. How about three? Am I two, the eye doctor? <laughs> She's like, why did I marry you? No, it's... I mean, so, she, she asks that question every day, probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this guy. Just turn off the camera. Anyways. So, that basically what I learned was like, even if I did a, like a pass-through, one, you can't... You just straight up can't use the F-log gamma in Resolve, and there isn't an F-log two. And so, I'm like, well, what do I do? And we've been talking about this part for like 20 minutes. <laughs> Keep going. This is great. And so <laughs> I, I felt like, man, I went like, I read I read a lot of forum posts on Asus's forum about F-Log and all this stuff. And there's a tool that someone has created to take, you take the math equation information that 
Fuji provides. And then you can use it to create an IDT, which is an interim. Jeez. And, an IDT. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. We all know what that it's is. It's like an ingoing dynamic transform and an outgoing dynamic transform. It's like IDT and ODT. And what an IDT is, is if you apply it, which you can apply it as a LUT, or you can apply it using the ACES workflow tool set that's built into Resolve. Which makes you feel a lot more professional, a lot cooler when you mm, do that, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Resolve can do a lot of cool stuff. IDT transform. You, if you go onto Google and you search IDT transform, there's like six videos because nobody cares about this stuff. I kind of feel like if you're doing an IDT transform, you're not doing that yourself. Like you're instructing one of your employees to do it for you. Uh, Probably. Yeah. So a lot of like color nerds on this whole thing. But what I found was like you can create an IDT transform. And so I took some of the information that people had done before and I like went in and create, you know, opened up Sublime and like created a text file (laughs) for an IDT. You're like like writing code to do all this stuff. (laughs) Kind of. And so like create this idt transform and essentially what it does is it takes the it takes the f log 2 footage and it transforms it into aces and so now it's not it doesn't transform into like rex 09 for final delivery all it does is it's your input transform to get into aces and then once you're in aces you can you know transform the from that to rex 709 and then pick your gamma for delivery Okay. YouTube is typically Gamma 2.2. Most TVs support Gamma 2.2, 2.4, 2.8. And that's just different curves of brightness. And so really, you kind of just pick what looks best for your grade. You don't necessarily have to have to to always use 2.2. But if you want what you outputted from Resolve to look correct in YouTube, then you have to output, you want to output H.264, Gamma 2.2, Rec. 709. Which is why like I care about all this stuff. Because I'm like... Yes, I can go in, I can grab the footage, I can slap on this F-Log 2 LUT, and I can bet this looks great. But if my final output doesn't match what like YouTube's upload, whatever it is, or my delivery platform, I'm just using YouTube as an example here, then it's not going to look the same whenever it's viewed by the people who want to view it. Man, I kind of wonder if this is why I see YouTubers talking sometimes about how like they grade their footage and then they export it and it looks different and yeah. things like that. Like I kind of feel like there's a reason for all that stuff, and it's not mm-hmm. just like weird bugs in the software, but there's like these subtle things that you have to dig way into to figure out. That's kind of what this feels like. Did you ever watch the YouTube video by MKBHD where he uploaded a video and then he downloaded it and then uploaded the video again, then downloaded it and uploaded the video again to see how bad the YouTube compression destroyed the I, video? I think I did. I at least heard about it. And I really hope he did that manually rather than automating it. Oh, it was just like a week of his life. It was nuts. Yeah. It got so nasty after like 10 uploads. Yep. Yep. YouTube compression is terrible. Yeah. You go through all this effort of like, look at this beautiful grain that I made. It doesn't matter. Yeah. YouTube's going to compress the crap out of that grain. Yep. So, but that, here you are putting in putting in gamma curves and making everything perfect. Yeah. So, like, this is where I've landed is that I'm still working through trying to make the ID the IDT work to get into Aces and getting out of it. Um, if you look at uh, certain colorists like uh, what's his name Waznat or was that his name that YouTuber YouTube Waznat? Nope, definitely not him. Fuji color was what W A Q A A. I can never say his name. Quasi Kazi. Sure. That guy. I mean, he's got like, you know, quarter million subscribers. He does a lot of really cool, great stuff and he makes really interesting looking things. And his philosophy is like, if it looks good, you're good. Right. This match that match. You have this whole thing. He does a lot of, you know, studio or whatever commercial work and all this stuff. And so he recently put out a video of how to upgrade F log four, F log one on a Fuji XT four. And he's like, he knows that like they don't have the color transform stuff in there. So he's like, I'm going to use this other camera. And I was like, that's, that's not right. <laughs> it's like, so no. But if you, it looks good, then you're good. Yeah. But, I mean, but like, that's true. Basically, like kind of, it's kind of true. And so he like did this thing and I was like, he used, he used the wrong color space. And I was like, I better comment. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like reading the comments and this guy and there's like, like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, it's Rec 2020. And I'm like, that guy knows. He read the white paper. And then this other guy replied, and he's like, no, F-Log 2 is Rec 709. You're an idiot. And they're like, here's the link to the white paper from Fuji that says that it's IDT 2020, Man. which is Rec 2020. He's like, who do I contact at Fuji to tell them that their white paper is wrong? You are in a very different part of YouTube than I am. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so the point is, some of the people on the uh, on the the forum for Aces said that they'll use Rec 2020 for the color space, which is the correct color space, no matter what anyone else says. And then they'll use the 
Airy Alexa C log gamma. So these are an Airy Alexa gamma. That, which is, that feels aspirational. Like but, they've got these Fuji cameras and they're like, I need to use this Airy Alexa gamma curve. Like, I don't know. Because it looked it looked better. They're like, they, this looks better to me than the F log transform. And it like it does it look the shadow roll off is a little nicer. And so I found the white paper for the Aria Alexa gamma curve, and then I found the F log two white paper for the gamma curve, and then I was comparing Luma values on gamma curves for two cam This is what I did with my spare time this week. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. And so I have like four different pictures I can show you. I have like four or six different grades of the same shot of me making a face, and it's like which one looks better? This one or this one or this one or this one? And I think that what I've come to, what I've determined is that the version that I did a straight Rec 709 LUT application and then did my own dynamic range grade to is the one that I like the most. But so the one, are you telling me that after all of this research, you ended up using the most basic transform you could have and then you just kind of did your own thing and did it till it looked good? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I just want to be clear. Like, it's kind of where we're at, but <laughs> but I think that the area option is kind of interesting. And if I was, I'm like, I'm doing this whole thing for color matching. So like the next, you know, the next big project that we do, that I, we can take the iPhone footage, the GoPro footage, and the, the drone, and the X-T3, and the X-T30, and all this stuff. And then I can be like, we're going to transform all these things to this thing, because I know this is going to work. And then like, it's a, it's a workflow. That's what I'm trying to get to. Are you trying to convince me or you? I like, I don't know, Daniel. <laughs> I just, I want to find a solution that I can present to everybody else and say, hey, all you F-log two nerds, this is what we should be doing. And then everyone's going to be like, you're so smart, Lucas. Here's all our subs. And then it'll be great. Still throw likes at me. They'll mail me things. I don't know. My biggest takeaway right now is I don't know how you're going to do any of that if you're detoxing from coffee. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's probably true. <laughs> maybe we'll put that on hold. Yeah, maybe you need to pick one or the other. Yeah, one or the other. So I think that's it. I think that's like that's kind of where we are right now. I'm more line, trying to land on a final IDT thing, and then yeah, that should that should be basically it. So that's color space transforms and F log two. And I think the main takeaway here is that Fuji needs to get in with the program with Aces. And that way, F-Log 2 can be built into DaVinci Resolve. Because like you, if you go and look on YouTube, I swear we've been talking about this for like half an hour. If you go and you look on YouTube and you're like, how to grade F-Log 2 footage so it looks really, really good. Which is probably too many search terms. There's a lot of, there's some interesting videos on there, but most of them are like, oh, you know, this is how you should expose, which is really helpful. You know, here's your middle grade. This is where you should put it in your histogram. And then they take it, the footage, and they're like, now watch me grade it for 15 minutes. I'm going to move this slider and this slider and this slider. I'm like, you didn't talk about color space transforms one time. No. Though I think the most useful one was uh, Cindy Dallas interviewed a guy that is a pro colorist that uses F-Log2 footage. And he, he had the most interesting things to say as far as like how he deals with it and how he deals with doing the color space transform when he doesn't have an actual color space transform. And like the real answer is just use the LUT, right? That is the most correct way to do it. But I don't know. It seems like there's other options. Well, I guess we'll look forward to more of this discussion next time. Yeah, this is going to this is going to be a long road. Yeah. Un yeah. Until Fuji and Asus and DaVinci Resolve all figure out their crap. Yep. Because we're just left holding the bag. Mm -hmm. This is why people shoot Sony. Is it? Is it really? No, they shoot it because of the autofocus. Yeah. yeah. Which Fuji released new firmware. Now that that was a segue. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, tell me more. <laughs> All right, firmware 3.0. I, came... I don't. I don't know where 2.0 came from. If I'm being honest, I don't know when that happened. It was happening in October. Okay. Where were you? Obviously, it was in October. October 13th. <laughs> I'm not sure if I upgraded. Oh gosh, I think I did. I don't know. Anyway, continue. Okay, remember how? Remember how we were all like, man, you know what would make this camera perfect? Is if Fuji let you set the ISO to the front or the back wheel? Remember yeah, that? I, I do remember that. Still, still not changed. Mm -hmm. Didn't add it to the firmware. I mean, how hard is it, right? I don't know. It's apparently really, really hard. It, it's just bits. Seems mm -hmm. like just code. Come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how if you had an, like an XT30 and you're using a clutch-based lens, and like you, you unclutch the lens, it goes into manual focus. 
and you don't have to like change it into manual focus before you pull the clutch. Mm-hmm. But how on the XH2S, whenever you do that, it just locks out your manual focus setting. And so you have to unclutch it and then change it to manual focus and then reclutch it in photo mode only. Yeah, that all makes perfect sense. That definitely doesn't sound like a bug. Yeah, still not fixed. Still not still fixed. Still not fixed. Actually, I don't I don't actually know this. It wasn't listed in the things and of well, all the that's because they just say minor bug fixes. I know. And then like all, all the videos that I've watched and like the reviews that I've read about people who've actually tried this because I haven't had a chance to do it yet. No, no word. No word of these things being fixed. Yeah. So really frustrating. It's like those little minor things. Yeah. We, we were like excited about this firmware update, looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like at least some of those pain points have not been addressed, which is really annoying. I'm pulling up the actual list of things. It's that... not. It, it's a poor list. It's like it's like when you update the apps on your phone. And they just say, like, we're constantly making improvements to improve the performance of this app. And, like, that doesn't tell me anything. I mean, some of the bullet points were in broken English. And I was like, I don't know what this... Okay, so they added drone detection for the in-subject detection. So, like, you can... If you're subject detecting, you can detect a drone. And they also added insect detection. So, if you're doing subject detection, you can detect an insect. And that, but when you, once you get, like, 10 lines down into the whatever the briefing on what the you know abilities are for this new firmware update it's like to do drone detection set it to airplane yeah i know it's like what are they the faa come Come on on. come on uh, to do insect detection just set it to uh airplane (laughs) airplane (laughs) (laughs) pro tip just leave it in airplane mode (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't mean the same thing (laughs) not that airplane mode (laughs) anyway so apparently they've made it a lot faster they say they added a lot of AI buzzwords to the language about the AI. Yeah, so which is important. It, like their well, stock probably went up when they did sure, that. Sure. I mean, if you want to compete with Sony's autofocus on the A7R5, you have to list AI in your press. Yeah. Program. I mean, you've got to get some machine learning going mm-hmm. on there. You know, that's that's very important. Yeah. How else are you going to do it? So supposedly the all the human detection stuff where, you know, it can, if it's tracking your eye, it should be able to catch it farther away. It should not lose you as bad for whenever you turn away from the camera and they can't see your eye anymore. It's going to be able to detect your body. So supposedly this is like a lot and a lot of autofocus improvements. Yeah. Yeah. It did seem very autofocus heavy. mm -hmm. I think that, well, I think that autofocus sells a lot of cameras and they released the X-H2S and it was amazing. And like the capabilities of the camera are there. The fact that it can read so fast Mm -hmm. that you can get all those, all those extra autofocus frames it should be really good at autofocus it just it it literally comes down to the algorithm yeah and then sony comes out with this a7r5 and then lumix comes out with the sl s5 mark ii thank you and like these things are kind of showing up fuji and especially with panasonic it's like that s5 mark ii first camera with phase detect autofocus and you've got people like caleb pike saying it's better than the fuji one it's like come on fuji how many cameras have you made with phase detect autofocus you should be farther up in the pack on this yeah they just kind of first try out the gate there it is so i'm really looking forward to trying it we'll see if it's any good yeah i am not really holding out hope i've never really had too much of a problem with the fuji autofocus but like it's not, it isn't the best. It's hard to imagine it being a big improvement. I do think they've made improvements to the autofocus in previous firmware updates for their cameras. So it's like, it's conceivable that there could be improvements. Yeah, they made a jump whenever they did the, they recently a firmware for the X-T3 after the X-T4 came out where they applied some of those algorithms to the X-T3. Yeah. The autofocus was noticeably better. Yeah. And so they like, they're not, it's not like a, you know, a gag or anything. They're not just, you know, releasing this for no reason. And I mean, the, the X-H2S is their first stack sensor camera. Mm-hmm. So it does stand to reason that over time they might learn more how to work with that increased speed. And like that could be why. Yeah. The, all the hardware is there. The processor is really good. The stack sensor is really fast. So, you know, I mean, there's, it's it's all just, you know, that software works. So hopefully with this firmware, that'll be all be improved. Definitely going to test it. I'm going to grab your camera and I'm going to grab my camera. And I'm going to upgrade my camera. And put the same lens on both of them and I'm just going to test it. We're yeah. going to run it through the paces. Maybe we'll like see if it can track it, track an airplane drone, not an airplane drone, but a drone in airplane mode. Yeah. And maybe you can find some insects. Yeah. No, to track I mean, in bird sure. mode. Of course. I have that macro lens. Yeah. There you go. I could, I could try to track a macro insect, a macro insect. That'd be cool. Yep. So yeah, we'll run, run, we'll run through the paces. Yeah. But... I'm curious to see. Uh, we don't normally have the opportunity to do side-by-side tests, but since we both have the same camera, we can just upgrade yours and see what happens. Yep. There's a few other things that change. They move like one setting around and I think they, uh, 
increase the speed of some of that wireless uh, yeah. viewing features. Honestly, that, it was all stuff I didn't really care about. Yeah, I just I want them to I want them to fix the things that that aren't the autofocus. Just those little like bugs that are there, which I yeah. guess that's the minor fixes. Mm-hmm. But seriously, like move the ISO to a dial. Why is yep. that not a thing? Yep. And all the weird lockouts that don't make sense on mm-hmm. various features, like, like all that, all that they could fix. Like what I want so desperately is that when you when you open up the menu, there's a little area at the bottom. Instead of skipping over a grade grayed out setting because it's locked out, let me hover over it and then in the bottom just write like tell me like why is it locked out? Yeah. Or at least like let me press a button that's like a question mark. Yeah. Where I can see like what does this setting do and why can I not set it right now? Oh, it's the most frustrating thing. I'm like, why can't I change the photometry? Yep. Well, because you're in autofocus continuous and photo mode and you have subject yep. detect turned on. Oh, well, that was pretty, pretty straightforward. You just, you just have to know all those yeah. weird quirks. It's, it's just, annoying. It's, it's really frustrating, especially whenever it's you're like you're not. I'm not familiar with the camera, but like you have to be really, really familiar with it. Like you wrote you wrote the script or something. Yeah. Even as much as you use it, you don't know all those in, in, ins and outs. Mm-hmm. Still big news from Earth 3.0. What, what else are we talking about today, Daniel? Well, I think one thing you had wanted to mention was uh, buying a camera for your mom. That's right. That's well, a, not that's my a, mom, your mom. Oh, somebody's mom. Somebody's mom. mom. Your mm-hmm. mom. Yep. <laughs> it, which is a very different topic than our first topic from today's show, because I don't think that either of our moms cares about gammas and color space transforms. Just not at all. I feel like if I wanted to discourage a mom from buying a camera... I would talk about IDTs and ODTs. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, I had to open up Sublime Text Editor and start writing this code, and they'd yeah. be out. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas, I just, I really think that maybe I should get a, a better camera than my phone. What do you think? Have you heard of Aces? <laughs> no, not the cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, given that they don't care about color space transforms, what, I mean, what's the story here? Like, like set this up. Why? Okay. What are we trying to do? Mother-in-law expressed some interest in buying a camera. My wife said, Use your phone. That's the best camera for you, probably. And, and you, which, you, you started twitching in the corner. Sure. I, I was just like, I was twitching. I'm like, I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. She just swoops in. Tells her to use her phone. It's the right choice for, for most moms, I think. Right? Like, in general, the phone's going to take pretty good pictures. But maybe you want slightly better pictures. And so I thought about this. Because what else am I going to do when I'm not looking up how to color space transform F-log footage? Yeah, which, to be clear, like that doesn't leave a lot of time in the day. Because sure. you spend a lot of time doing that. But Li- there is a little bit of time. Sliver. So here's here's my criteria. Okay. And so I'm going to pitch this to you. You're picking a camera for a mom. One of our listeners' moms. Your mom. My mom. The great mom. Yep. The universal mom. The universal mom. I'm going to give you some criteria. And I want you to kind of pitch me some options. All right. And we're going to run through them. Okay. Sounds good. It's got to have good JPEGs. Mom, mom, mom don't want to deal with Lightroom. That's true. That is very true. Good out-of-picture cameras. We're not editing this stuff in RAW. Number two, easy to use and understand. We don't need all those menus. Yeah, because because you got... you're gonna have to you're gonna have to provide tech support for that. Yeah, I mean we're we're learning exposure triangle. Mm-hmm. We don't need to learn all the other yep. like what does function one do. Yep. Mm-mm. Yep. They're not setting custom buttons on this thing. It needs to be cost effective. We're not we're not buying an R5 for mom. <laughs> She don't want it. Mom's not at that point yet. Don't want to buy. Maybe she can upgrade to an R5 after yeah. she gets really yeah. into photography. Like whenever she's on the on the sidelines of F1 races and stuff. I'm not saying that mom's not going to get out there and buy like, I don't know, a R10 and then be like, I love this. Lucas, I need a 70 to 200. And then she's going to upgrade to an R5. Yeah. With her 70 to 200. Yep. And then start taking, a, start taking like really sick stills mm-hmm. of kids at soccer practice. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Yeah, moms can take pictures of kids at parks. Yep. I cannot. That, that can that, that, that can work for them. That no, can't work for you. No matter how many times I try. Yep. Yep. Boy, I feel like a creeper. Okay. Cost effective. One versatile lens. Mom's not changing lenses. She's not going to put a prime on there and then now, switch it to another prime. Okay. okay. I was going to say, I don't think we should totally like lock out primes. We're not locking out primes. Yeah. I think primes are an option i do think i do think saying buy this camera and these three lenses is a little overwhelming probably maybe gets into the cost effective thing too. two lenses yeah but probably not three so a versatile lens doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a prime doesn't have to be a prime doesn't have to be a zoom but a versatile but has to be better than an iphone or a pixel because that's kind of the default right yeah like why not just use your phone yeah so don't yeah. buy don't buy a, a seven-year-old micro four-thirds camera 
your phone's going to take better pictures, probably. A little bit of a hot take there, but I'm going to let that go for now. It's, oh boy, yeah, debatable, right. maybe. But it's not going to be like um, an RX 100 Mark II. Sure. Actually, that might still be pretty good, too. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Something to talk about, but yeah, I get, I get your point. You have to be able to get the photos off the camera and onto your phone to post on Facebook yeah. easily. Yeah, that's like the that's like the key workflow, right? Yep. From the camera to the phone without like having to deal with Wi-Fi direct and like pairing your phone via Bluetooth mm. with a QR code and then waiting five minutes and using a really janky app. I- interestingly, this is the one thing that I feel most out of my depth on because mm-hmm. I never do that. I'm thinking I'm thinking SD card reader to Lightning or USB C. And then you just copy them. That's honestly probably the most straightforward thing. Or they buy one of those $4,000 Zeiss cameras that just uploads to Lightroom automatically. There you go. And then you pay for the Lightroom subscription and then just say, go to this app and download them. I mean, the Zeiss. So so the Zeiss camera, which is not going to be a serious recommendation in this, like it runs Android, right? Can you just make calls with it? Can it just be your phone? Do you remember that Galaxy camera phone that was a camera (laughs) that was also an Android phone? I think I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I want more stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Oh, I hope Apple's listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. Apple camera. Yep. It would just be another Sony camera like all the rest of them. <laughs> okay. What do you got? Give me your options. All right. Let's start by talking about Canon. So you mentioned the R10. I mean, that's that's coming out of the gate pretty strong, but that is an option. So that one came out not too long ago. It's one of their lower end cameras. It is the cheapest modern RF camera. But it's still pretty expensive. I mean, we're like we're talking with a lens, probably like almost thirteen hundred bucks. And I don't know. I, I think that doesn't quite fit the cost effectiveness of this. Like when I think about when I was getting into photography, I don't know, like a thousand dollars felt like a lot of money. I just can't what do you think? I mean, I just can't imagine I, spending that much. I agree the same thing. I've had this conversation with my myself eight years ago and then also some people like someone I work with where it's like hey Lucas I'm kind of interested in photography do you know anything about cameras and I'm like they don't know that I know everything about cameras you're talking to the right person and they're like well what if I buy this their budget was a thousand bucks right straight Mm -hmm. up thousand dollars camera plus lens they don't want to spend any more than that which which to be fair like I still think a thousand dollars is like a lot of money for a hobby that you're not sure about oh for sure I think that, that that to me is is the lock and price like maximum Maybe even less than that for most people who are thinking thinking about getting into photography. Yeah. So it's just kind of funny. Like we talk on this, like we talked about the R10 a few weeks ago and we were kind of like, yeah, this is like Canon's low end camera. And like, you know, maybe you buy this if you were new. But when I start actually thinking about this for this type of use case, I feel like that's out of the range. I don't know. I, I don't really see a scenario where you can buy that camera and have it fit into the cost effectiveness. I think that one of Canon's most popular cameras still is the M50. Yeah, yeah, which is a like a lower-end interchangeable lens camera. It uses EFM lenses. Mm-hmm. And, and how much does that one cost? Uh, I think it's maybe like in the $500 range, plus or minus a little bit. Like, with a lens, without a lens? I think you could get it with a lens for like $650, okay. maybe. Well, that's in the price range. Mm-hmm. When you, and you still can buy them, which realistically, Canon needs to release an R50 or something. They need yeah. to replace the M50 with an R mount lens option and then release a cheap APS-C lens and not the 24 to 105, 4 mm-hmm. to F7.1. I guess I could kit lens that thing, but oh, geez. Because what, what gets me about the the M50 is that I just feel like EFM, the the M lenses are just kind of a, a dead end. That is know? the like, most the most going nowhere lens mount. Mm-hmm. They're never making another EFM yeah. lens. And, and, and I mean, I don't think that one of the key criteria of this was upgradability and like, it's not the most critical thing for this right. use case, but at the same time, like it feels better if you're buying into something where if you if you do decide I want a seventy to two hundred or whatever, you have an easy upgrade path to that that doesn't require buying a new camera body too. And I just don't really see that with the M fifty. Right, you want the upgrade option, but realistically, one camera with one lens and a decent zoom. I would almost consider recommending an N50 for this, for the mom. Interesting. Like if she's not really going to get into too many other options and she just needs something that can zoom mm-hmm. out to, I don't know, 100 millimeters. I don't know. Maybe there's a kit that works with it. So what's the what's the appeal to you of that as an option? That it's it's low cost and you can get a couple zooms or one zoom and you're out the door for less than $1,000. Okay. And Canon's going to look, the JPEGs are going to look good. 
I think the menus on Canon are probably a little bit easier to use than a mm-hmm. lot of these other options. So that's that's a plus. It's got the name recognition, which I do think matters a little bit. You know, like if you tell somebody to buy a Canon, they've probably heard of that brand. I think that Definitely. helps. I mean, Canon used to sell a ton of the Rebel cameras. Yeah. With like a 3.5 to 6.3, mm-hmm. whatever, basically a 24 to 70 type lens. And well, I, think, I, think, zoom. I think the Rebels are mostly gone now. Right. I don't think that, I don't think they make those anymore, but that's the kind of thing is like, if you're, so if you're going to suggest a Canon, there's not really a rebel option. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to suggest mirrorless for mom. I don't, mirrorless I don't want her to mom. deal with, I don't want her to deal with having mirrors and like, why does it like, I mean, mom's do, got enough mirrors in her life. Mom's got enough mirrors in her life. Yeah. That's right. I'm going to pitch the Z50, the Ni- Nikon Z50. Ni- <laughs> Nikon cast. <laughs> for, for one thing, you've got all the used lenses you could possibly want. Mm-hmm. You just walk in, walk into a camera store and be like, yeah, can I buy, I don't know, 15 uh, F mount lenses, please. I have an adapter. They're like, Oh, you, you don't have to buy those. Yeah. We actually give them to people as, as uh, door prizes. Yeah. For yeah. Fr- just for free. Just take whatever you want. Just, <laughs> they just open up the case. Just yeah. take, take it all. No, please. We just take it up space. <laughs> all right. Tell me about the Z 50. I don't know that much about it. I mean, it's it's a APS-C lower-end Z-mount camera. It's still Z-mount, but you can get a Z50 with a kit lens for less than a thousand bucks, and it's decent, right? It, it, it's APS-C, so you're still dealing with you know crop and that noise factor. But and so you probably want faster lens than you would if you're buying a cheap full frame. But I don't think you're going to get a full frame in this budget anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be the larger size lens that you can get if you're considering APS-C versus you know. Uh, micro four thirds sure under that in a thousand dollar price bracket and i think it gives you options going forward if you decide you really like it there's going to be a lot of cheap used lenses out there and if you look for a used z50 i mean it's going to be even lower nikon still i think has a, a good name in photos i think people who don't follow cameras still know what nikon is i think the used lens aspect is compelling i mean if you want to get the adapter you've got like every lens you could possibly want so like for experimentation or something like getting a lens pretty easily. So this might be a little, a little too high, but 850 used from B and H you can get a Z 50 with a 16 to 50 millimeter lens. 16 to 50 is a good range. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 850 is, I mean, it's on the higher end. It sounds like it's more expensive than the M than the Canon M 50 would have been, but it's, it's below that thousand mark for sure. Mm-hmm. It's at least a possibility, I think. Yep. All right. Well, so that's 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 gonna be your Nikon. You're not gonna get anything else from Nikon for cheaper unless you go and buy like a used DSLR, which an option. But I don't, like for all of these recommendations that I'm making to mom, she's got to be able to like go to either Best Buy or the camera store or B and H online or whatever and like buy the thing. Yeah, that is a problem. Like you can't you can't be slut, you can't be picking something where it's mm-hmm. like, well, if you troll around enough, you can find a used one. Yeah. It's, Sure. Like, oh well, you know, the best bang for your buck is if you go out and find this Canon 5D Mark II, and then you can buy this EF lens. But you have to make sure you look here because if you get the Mark II of that lens instead of the Mark One, then it's going to have this problem. And blah blah blah. Yeah, that's not mom's, gonna go- mom's gone. She's yeah. like, she's out doing something else. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so I think you're right. I think that's about the only Nikon option. We've talked, we've talked Canon, we talked Nikon. I think we have to talk about Sony. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Fujifilm. No, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But let, <laughs> Sony's probably probably got more more possibilities here. So, I mean, one option is something like so. I, so when I started off, I started off thinking about like the the Alpha series. Um, A six thousand was the first one that I really knew about from Sony. But that camera is pretty old now, and I think anything we said about that would be finding a used one at this point which kind of has the same problems of like, where are you going to go that you can find a used one? Like it's still an old camera. I'm not sure about that. Uh, one that did come to mind though, was the ZV-E10, which is a little bit newer. You can buy that camera new. It's fairly reasonably priced. It's about $600 with the lens. And that well, one seems like a reasonable option. Wasn't it more like 800 with the lens? I guess it kind of depends on where you get it and what you get. Yeah. But yeah, that's a I mean, 16 to 50. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I didn't, I didn't write that down, but sure. Um, that, that camera seemed like a reasonable option to me. I like that it's got the flippy screen. I mm-hmm. think that's a that's a feature that mom might enjoy on like a trip or something. Right. It's basically an A6000 without the eyepiece in a smaller body. And it's still E-mount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interchangeable lenses and all that. Um, so you've got a good upgrade path. There's for, so uh, many E-mount lenses. Yeah. Like just just think of the focal range. Just make, make one up. 
Yeah, just any focal range you want. 30, 33 millimeters. Yeah. I'm sure, they, lens I'm sure they've got that. Mm-hmm. You I'm want sure a uh, that. you want like a thirteen to a thirty six. Oh yeah, there's a Tamron lens that does that. Uh, of course, it's a, and it's two point eight. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just endless options. Yeah, I feel like the problem with Sony though is the menus. It's kind of hard to get over that. Yep, that makes it a little tricky. Um, I mean, I've I spent a lot of time looking at Sony menus, and jeez, uh, still don't understand. No, them. I, no yeah. idea. No, I idea think what, what Sony does really well is the email. The email lens system, like we just said, is really flexible and there's there's just so many choices. And they also make really compact cameras that have a disproportionate feature set and spec sheet for their price and size. Mm-hmm. That's what they do really well. But I don't feel like the usability is quite as good as like a Canon or an Icon. Yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the sticking point for me for recommending Sony for mom is like if she's more tech savvy, maybe she maybe she's fine with it, but I don't want to have to explain how to use Sony menus. It is I, it is hard to say though. Like I mean, the the thing that I think might make it okay is I mean we're frequently in a situation where there's a Sony camera that that us and other people who are less camera adept use, and people are successful with doing the basic things. Like you can tell them like here's how you change the ISO and they can handle that. But if they change it from picture profile five to picture profile six, and you're like, what picture profile is it on? Because one of those is custom set to HLG Rec 709, and we need to make sure we're using that color space. They're like, I pressed custom button three. What? Yeah, that that oddly specific and yet certainly hypothetical situation would never happen. But Absolutely not. I just wonder, you know, even though the menus are complicated, is it, is it really a problem? I mean, is, is I mom think, really going through and changing all those settings? I figured this out, right? Potato Jet during COVID, put out a 42-minute video where he goes through every single setting on his current Sony camera. And if mom can make it through that video, she gets a Sony cam. That's it. Here's your, that, your A6500. That's the test. It's yep. like, can you make it through this video without falling asleep? It's like, mom, I'll buy you an A6400 with a 24 to 70 if you can watch this 42-minute video. Never going to have to buy that camera. Yeah. Nope. Easiest, easiest gamble I've ever made. <laughs> I do think that camera is a good option, though. I think I think if, like you said, if mom's tech savvy enough to understand the menus. Yeah, I like the I like the ZVE10 as an option as well. It doesn't have an eyepiece, but I honestly don't think that's a problem. I think I think I think mom's be okay with that. And then if she likes it and she needs something else, more range or something, you're going to be able to find whatever she's looking for for the five hundred dollar price range yeah. with some used or new third-party, whatever, Sony Sony lens. It's yeah. going to be there. Yeah, that is a plus. I mean, Sony has so many so many lenses, and there is enough of a used market for them that, like, if you were wanting to buy a gift or something, like, you could probably find a good used Sony lens for a reasonable price. So yeah. It's a plus. I was looking at the used market. Um, I found an a, A7R1 for, like, $730. I don't know what the like, specs on that are. I mean, it's a it's like a 33-megapixel sensor. Wow. Like, it's their high-res mm-hmm. sensor, you know, when it came out forever yeah. ago. Not bad. And, you know, it kind of looked like the the whole APS-C line for, for Sony right now is just just old. Mm-hmm. Like, when I bought my first camera, geez, 20, 2017, I think it was, I was like, maybe I should buy a used A6000 because it's been out for a few years. And, like, you could buy them for 600 bucks when I bought my camera. Man, your and life would have been so different if I you had bought that A6000. Man, I kind of regret not buying it over the GX7. I think I would have enjoyed it more. I think it would have been a better camera. Yeah, and then, man, I would have, I would have been like, boom, been A7, A7 III from there. Full on Sony, bro. Oh, jeez, man, I would have wore khaki pants and yeah. had, like, a polo. You'd <sighs> have an FX3 right now. I I. <laughs> Honestly, probably would have an X7, <laughs> or if not an FX30. Yeah, definitely would have happened. Or just an A7 IV. Yeah, boy. While while we're on the Sony topic, um, one camera I did want to talk about was the RX100, and that's a little different because that one has a fixed lens. I think it's a one inch sensor. It is a yeah, it's a one inch sensor. And the, the at least on the RX100V, which is the fifth iteration that they've made of that camera. I found them used for about uh, eight fifty, which still feels super expensive. Yeah, uh, but that has a fixed lens that is twenty four to seventy. So they, I felt like that was a, a surprisingly like respectable range. They take decent pictures. On Keh has a used RX one hundred Mark four, which is a twenty megapixel sensor, one inch, for three seventy five. That's that's super cheap. Yeah, 
I mean, the RX100s are great cameras. It, it's just an interesting option because I think it's, they're very compact because they have that built-in mm-hmm. lens. But I mean, like that's a pocketable camera. Oh, for sure. And it's going to be simpler. You don't have, there's no lens swapping. You still get a decent zoom range. Yep. I don't know. I think it's kind of an interesting thing that's a little different than most of the other ones you talked yeah. about. And I just, I don't know, if you're buying used Sony, it's like to go back to, you know, my anecdote here, the... The A6000 is almost a decade old, but mm-hmm. it's still kind of expensive. And I just couldn't, I don't feel like I can't recommend to mom uh, an A6000 or an A61 or 63, maybe a 6400 or a 6600. It's just, Even those are pretty old. They're all, right? those like, are four like years old. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's, I don't know, like, it's fine to buy an old camera. Like, definitely buy an old used camera. It's going to save you money. Why buy the newest thing? But I just, I don't see any of those working for mom like the RX100 would. The RX100 is pretty good. Yeah. And I think we can both agree that Sony needs to release an RX One R Mark III. Yeah, that's the that'd be full frame, right? Yeah, yeah. I would I would drool a lot over Maybe that. Maybe it would only be three thousand oh, dollars instead of four thousand. Man, there's just there's no way that I could ever justify that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, if I was like a Panasonic shooter and I knew that I could like upgrade, like Leica was my upgrade path, yeah, I'd probably buy something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you say. I think that the, that does kind of point out another thing that I would consider in this purchase is what is going to last a while. Like for you or me, if we buy a camera and it becomes outclassed sufficiently by other things, like we're sure. probably going to be more willing to sell our camera and buy a new one. Yeah, definitely. I feel like your average person that wants to buy a camera to take some pictures on vacation does not want to upgrade that camera. No. Like they kind of want not. that to be like a one-time purchase. And so buying something that's really old is probably not the best just because it's it's going to have a shorter lifetime it's going to be a shorter amount of time before it's just totally outclassed by everything else yeah i mean you're right so let's i mean let's talk about what the real option is here have you ever, have you ever heard of fujifilm a little japanese company i don't know i think i, I think I, they make film right yeah yeah they make yeah. film uh-huh. also make cameras but they're like Film cameras. Oh. Because you know, I think what mom really wants is film simulations. Are you about to tell me that mom needs an X-Pro3? Mom wants classic chrome. That's mom what she wants. wants classic chrome. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like you're putting some words in mom's mouth there. She told me. She said, Lucas, I think I want a camera. But what I really want is it to look kind of like contrasty, but like a little gold. Like you, you, show, you show me those pictures. They all look good. Mm-hmm. What is that? Let's call, well, let's, let's, call, let's call it classic chrome, mom. I want that, Lucas. I want classic chrome. Well, I'm sure this is a real conversation. Yeah, that 100% happened. happened. Not something exactly you dreamed like about. Exactly like that. Nope. Yeah. That's how it happened. Mm-hmm. She said, I want Fuji. And I was like, I knew it. I am related to you. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure until now, but now I know. I have my doubts, Mom. <laughs> well, I'm coming home. <laughs> All right. So what, but what Fuji camera? Is, that, is it the X-Pro3? Yeah, it's Expo three. Obviously, yeah, yeah, mom doesn't need a screen. <laughs> it would be, it would honestly be way too complicated if it had a screen. We're talking, we're talking menu simplified. Get rid of the menus. Just you know, no screen. You want to know what film simulation it is? It's just on the back. Just turn the dials. Simplest thing. Yes, I do think. Like in all honesty, I think that the the Fuji cameras are intimidating. I my my wife has shot with uh, the seven Canon seventy that I have, and she's shot with my xt3 and like all the dials are just it's a little she's like well i'd have to like learn how to use it and i'm like it's so easy you should like you just you, you just turn you want to turn the iso you just turn the iso you you want to change the shutter speed we well, should you should turn the shutter speed now it's so easy it's not easy i don't see i don't know if i agree because i i think for our generation that is true mm-hmm. because we feel more comfortable going through a menu and like understanding the way the machine works. Like we're used to that from computers and phones and stuff. But I mean, the thing to remember is a lot of people, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago had film cameras and knew how to use them and were successful with them. And the, the Fuji approach with the dials is not that different. I mean, if you're, if they shot film, then you just explain, like, remember you, what's your film speed? That's your ISO done. Mm-hmm. Problem solved. Yeah. I, it, for the right person, it makes sense. For and me. it just seems to me like the camera is always in a state that you can know by like looking at mm-hmm. it. Like to me, it, it maybe feels a little bit easier to say, here's your shutter speed dial. This is what shutter speed does. And they can look at that camera at any time when it's off or on. They don't have to go through a menu and they can mm-hmm. just they can just look at it and know what it is. And I don't know. I think that you may be underselling how easy that is for 
older people it to may, understand. Maybe it makes so much sense to me. The whole Fuji dial system and like having to explain to somebody like what's shutter speed priority, what is program. Mm-hmm. I find I still, I mean, I know what they all mean, mm-hmm. but I still like sometimes kind of have to think for a moment. Like, yeah. wait, what is what is shutter speed priority? What, you know, what what does that do? Like, yep. mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, man, for mom, XT30 maybe. If you can find a used XT200, that could be yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I don't know because I don't think you can buy those new anymore. Mm-hmm. But like that's small, nice. You can buy an XC zoom lens for pretty cheap. Yeah. You could be out the door for. Less than five, six hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean my my setup's great. My XT thirty, and then you know if you had a some sort of reasonable zoom lens, the, I mean that, that's totally doable. The Fuji, the XF eighteen to fifty five two point eight to f four kit zoom. Most of the time you can ship. They ship for three hundred bucks with the camera. Like it's just a three hundred dollar add on, but they sell it for six hundred dollars. But because of that, because of that kit price, usually for use they're like somewhere between two fifty and three fifty. Okay, so really reasonably priced. That is one of the sharpest, cleanest kit lenses you can buy from any manufacturer. Interesting. And I'm not just saying that as a Fuji fanboy. Yeah, but also as a Fuji fanboy. But also as a Fuji fanboy. Real deal, super, super good lens. I use yeah. that lens for a long time. Yeah. Fan- and so I think I think you get that zoom, and then you get something like an X2, X-T200, X-T30, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, and you're... I mean, you're set to go. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a bad option. And the XT30 is actually a little bit simpler on the dials than some of the other, like some of the other cameras, because it only has a shutter speed dial. ISO is just a you know like a normal jog mm-hmm. dial on the back, and then aperture would probably be on your lens. So, I mean, it's it's fewer dials than what you get on something like the XT3. Yeah, I guess if you wanted the full set, you'd have to get XT3, XT2. Mm-hmm. But then, like, we're dealing with the buying use whole situation. Yeah, that, that I think that's out of scope for this. Yeah, but like. I guess an X, but an XT30 Mark II is $700. So like it gets weird with the pricing. Yeah. If you can find a good used Fuji system, mm-hmm. it's going to be great. But you're, it's, yeah. I don't know if mom's necessarily going to go out and buy that herself. Yep. Yep. And I wanted to say X100V, which is sort of Fuji's version of the RX100, sort of. Oh, man, that's but it's, such a cool camera. It's just a little too expensive. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it's very niche too. Yeah. I yeah. Love- yeah. You have a prime lens. And I mean, especially now with all the demand, you're looking at thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars to get I one of those. S- I still want that X one hundred X with that forty megapixel sensor out of the X T five. Yep. Whoo boy. Yep. Yes. But that's, that's camera a- for you, not mm-hmm. camera for your mom. Yep, no. Yeah. Hey mom, I bought us a Christmas gift. <laughs> I'm gonna hang on to it for you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So Fuji, obviously the best choice so far. Yep. Uh, no one's Man, no one's contesting. We're starting to run out of options. Though. Oh, what geez, else do we yeah. have? I mean, like you got Panasonic, you got Olympus. We already talked about Nikon. Mm-hmm. So Panasonic Olympus, uh, we're talking Micro Four Thirds, right? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting discussion. You mm-hmm. think it's still worth buying a Micro Four Thirds? Man, account? I don't. I honestly don't know. I, like when I shot Micro Four Thirds, if I was if I could get f two point eight or lower, it would work for basically everything that I did. Even like shooting inside. At like ISO sixty four hundred at f two, I could get away with that. Mm-hmm. But I had to like if I used a zoom lens, and I was inside, I could, it was it was basically impossible. If I like anything above anything above f four inside was a no go for me on micro four thirds. Yeah, it was just way too noisy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that mom's gonna want to shoot pictures inside of mm-hmm. moving subjects, yeah. like children or dogs. I think that where I start to run into trouble on micro four thirds is. If you're going to take a picture in bright sunlight outside, I think your phone is going to take as good or better of a picture than the Micro Four Thirds camera Yeah, in most cases. Mm-hmm. Especially then, if you're not zooming in. And then inside, I think that most, like like an iPhone or Pixel, the night mode stuff is going to make it perform way better than a Micro Four Thirds uh, camera right. would. And then most Micro Four Thirds cameras, because of pixel density, are going to be 16 megapixels or less. Mm-hmm. The, X, the new the Olympus OMD-1... D-O-M. The newest Olympus micro four cam- third camera is like 20-something megapixels. Yeah. But that's that's an outlier. If we're yeah. talking in that sub $800 budget, mm-hmm. or even less because you're in micro four-third range, man, like yeah. you're going to be 12 to 16 megapixels, which is iPhone resolution. And so you're not really going to be that much better because you lost all the competition yeah, in photography. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where you... That's where the only reason it makes sense is if you want some of the other benefits of having a real mm-hmm. camera. So... If you need to be able to zoom, you know, if you're trying to take pictures of your kid's dance recital and you need a zoom range, like even a micro four thirds camera is going to do better than an iPhone. I mean, I do think that 
the pictures are better if you pixel peep. Mm-hmm. Even like a 16 megapixel micro four thirds is probably better than an iPhone if you zoom in, although it's iffy. And then the only other reason I can think of is like, I think there's maybe some intangible benefit to having a real camera. Like maybe it encourages you to take more pictures. Like I kind of feel like it's an unsatisfying answer for somebody to say, hey, what camera should I buy? And you say, oh, just use your phone. Like even if it's true for a lot of people and even if that's like, you know, you're always going to have it with you, you already own it. Like even if that's all true, like I think for people that want to do photography, like as a hobby, I just feel like it's ultimately like kind of an unsatisfying answer. You know, like you don't, you don't feel like you're doing photography with a phone. Like you feel like you're using a tool to take a picture. And and so like, that's, if somebody was going to buy a micro four thirds camera for this, that's where I would see the argument for it. Yeah. I can, I can agree with that. It's man. It's tough. Cause it's like micro four thirds. That's going to be your cheapest, but you're fighting resolution and light. If you're looking for menu system, like if you're looking at Sony menu system, it's gonna be too complicated. If you're looking at Fuji, getting the files off the Fuji with the app is going to be a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you're needing to do the and, SD card yeah, with the and reader. If, and if you're looking at Canon, it's going to be maybe a little too expensive. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's, there's hardly any other options. <laughs> it's hard. All these have trade-offs. And I yeah. think it's still hard for us to not be biased by like, mm-hmm. we're really into this stuff. And like you or I would have such a hard time buying like a Panasonic G7 or a Canon M50 because mm-hmm. like. We know it can't do all the things that our XH2S right. can do. And so I think that's tough for us. But I think that, that makes this decision really hard. If I was making the recommendation to mom, one of the big priorities that I would make would be looking through to find which one has the best option for the app. I think that the Fuji camera app or the phone app for your camera, you can set it up to automatically ch- transfer the pictures from your camera to your phone and then you can pick the resolution and how mm. it does it. And so, and then it'll automatically pair. Cause I have mine set up that way where it t- grabs the geolocation off my phone and applies it to the pictures. And right. that works. Almost all my pictures cool. when I have my phone with me are geotagged. Oh, cool. And so it is working in the background. And Fuji's app is awful. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of people complain about it. Which is why I'm wondering like, does the Canon or the Panasonic or the Sony yeah. or the Nikon app, if Nikon even has an app, they do. Anyways, like, is it better at this? Does the Sony app have an option where it will automatically transfer the pictures to your phone? Because if that's the case, I'm going to be like, mom, you got to get this whatever XEV 10 thing or buy this A6400. I know it's a little more, but like the pictures are just going to be on your phone. Yeah, I I do agree. I think that's really important. And I wish we had done a little more research into that before this. Maybe we can follow up and like talk. I don't know. I can't even imagine Googling for that. It's like such a deep down feature. That's true. Yeah, we're gonna have to like I'm gonna have to go look for all the manuals for all the cameras. I'm gonna have to read all the manuals. Oh, that sounds exhausting. Oh, okay, all right, I'll do it. I'll geez, oh, yeah. Daniel, stop twisting my arm. Oh. <laughs> I guess I would be curious, like let's say, because to me, like the short list feels kind of like Canon M50, yeah, Sony ZV E10. Um, I think the Nikon Z50 is, Nikon is a Z50. legitimate option. So that gives us three choices. XT30 still? Yeah, XT30. Okay, so that's four four cameras. Yeah. I guess I'd be really curious between those four choices how the apps compare. Like even just like looking at one review, mm-hmm. you know, like was this easy to use? Because I think you're right. I think that is a really valuable feature. I think I think I need to look into these this whole app situation. Yeah. Report back. I think that's a maybe good idea. Well, maybe I won't. Yeah. There's one camera we didn't talk about. What's that? That is the Fuji Instax. Mm-hmm. I think what mom is, wants is, is the Fuji Instax a digital camera, Lucas. Yeah, yeah, it is. They have the hybrid ones where you can take a digital picture and then you pick the picture that you want. You pull the lever, it prints out your Polaroid. That I well, mean, it's not a Polaroid because it's a it's a Fuji, but you get a little picture that prints out. That's I mean, pretty cool. Yeah, it's super cool and like it's really really popular on the gram on with all the, the with all the kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now. Is there any way to pull that digital picture off or is the sure. only thing you can get that printed picture? I think you can pull the digital pictures off. Now, are they terrible? They're it probably is, terrible. It is less than a one inch sensor. It's a one fifth inch sensor. Oh yeah. They are awful. But how much is this thing? I mean, you can you can get one for a few hundred bucks. It's not bad. Yeah. Maybe like $500 or something. You're getting like a free printer with that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, then, then you don't even have to worry. It solves the problem of getting them to your phone. Because you're just going to print it out and then you're going to take a picture of the picture with your phone to upload to Facebook and then you have the printout with you. It's true. Done. Mm-hmm. Problem yeah. solved. And yeah, it's still a Fuji camera. Yep. 
man, you somehow managed to make the Fuji argument even more hipster <laughs> than I thought possible. I don't, I don't know it, if it does classic Chrome. Do you think, so is that a serious recommendation for this? I think that it depends on what mom wants to use it for. I think that's a fun camera and mom would maybe enjoy it. It does sound fun. she could put the pictures on her fridge. Oh man, I didn't think about that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. But that's not like the final recommendation. I think that I think Z50 is going to be where I land on this. Either oh. a Z50 or maybe like a used a used Fuji cam, like an XT20 mm-hmm. in like and the 18 to 55. If you can find that combo for less than mm-hmm. five or six hundred bucks, I would say like that's where you go. If not, maybe something like the Nikon Z50, just because yeah. the used lens market is yeah. so good. Yeah, I do still think like the Canon M50 is worth considering, just because mm-hmm. you know Canon colors. And, yeah, I mean, and I think it's going to be easy to use. So I think that I wasn't expecting you to be interested in that, but I think that's yeah. an interesting option, and especially then, if you don't have to expand the lenses, right? Yeah. If it's if you can get one good zoom mm-hmm. and you're done, the M50 almost yeah. works. Yeah, and then I kind of think the the Sony ZV-E10 is still something I'd think about, especially if it feels like a thing where you know mom wants to eventually be able to get more lenses like if that seems like a strong likelihood then Mm -hmm. i think maybe the sony upgrade path is worth putting some weight on yeah i mean i just the the strength of e-mount like it's it's not to be understated i think yeah we covered a lot of ground today daniel we did we We sure did we went from gamma curves to talking about a polaroid in stacks Mm -hmm. camera we found a camera for mom yeah we solved f-log 2 yeah yeah we talked about that Fuji firmware update that yeah. doesn't do anything we mm-hmm. want it to do. Nope, sure doesn't. Yeah. yeah, what a day. Yeah, wow. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed it, we'd encourage you to rate us on iTunes and tell your photography friends about the show. Also, check out our website at cameragearpodcast.com to learn more or send us feedback and questions. We'll be back with more next week.